Awesome, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of It Is What It Is podcast. I'm your host, Cody Cully. I'm so excited about this one because I have one of my uh, favorite returning guests, brother and friend Malik Abdul. It has been a pleasure. Uh, a lot has happened since the last time you've been on the show. New president, new things. <laughs> and it right. still seems like a lot of the same, you know, whatever, right? But mm-hmm. guys, before we continue, if you want to keep seeing amazing content, you got to do two, two things. You got to follow me on Instagram at CVMK33. And you have to connect with me on YouTube at CV Space K. And hopefully when you see this, you'll see my cool little graphic. Connect with me. Follow me. Let me know that you're there. I love providing the content. Love engaging with you. But with that being said, Malik, how are you doing today? Good, brother. I think this is, isn't this the first time this year? First time this year, 2021. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Well, happy new year, happy new president, and the whole nine yards. <laughs> <laughs> happy new year, happy new president to you as well. Look, I want to get into you. You have been, uh, you've been an amazing guest. Uh, anything I've asked, you know, you you jumped on, you know. But it, it seems like we're forced to just draw hard lines in the sand. You know, you no longer can be like, you know, the buffet. I, I want this and I want that. It's like I, I gotta be a hard line, you know, left or right. And that's what sells, right? So like if you're a conservative, you have to be all the way, you know, red and, you know, supporting, you know, and 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 trying to win over Joe Manchin. If you're a, you know, a liberal, you got to be all the way, you know, AOC and everything else that's non-progressive is, is ultimately evil. Uh, but the reality is, you know, life isn't always that, defining there's a lot mm-hmm. of complexity uh you can walk and chew bubble gum sometimes you might like a certain policy but don't like the personality behind it sometimes you like the personality but think the policies are too far-fetched and it creates uh i won't say tension but healthy discourse but what's missing it seems like is no longer can people engage without a becoming offended and b becoming tribal right Mm -hmm. so let's start there the problem with tribalism i'm all for everybody being who they are right but being who you are shouldn't isolate me from somebody else so for you right you've been on many shows you've been on one show we just (laughs) we just uh discussed at length um is it like when you when you get to these platforms do they do they coach you say hey look we need you to be extra conservative or do you do you feel like you have to play into their idea of what a conservative is so the thing is is that much of this is the personal decision of whatever of the talent itself so even me you know i can be whoever i want to be the problem is is that um what sells are sensational you know i'm not really provocative enough uh, to be on some of these shows because the things that I say, I may disagree with both um, Republicans and Democrats. Right. Um, you have so many people on these shows, on these various platforms, who they've essentially made a name for themselves in this age of social media. They've made a name for themselves being tribal. I'll give you an example of that. Um, let's uh, Chrissy Teigen, yeah. um, John Legend's wife, Chrissy Teigen. She's been I don't think she's been deplatformed, but she lost a couple of gigs because there it came out that a few years back or so that she had been online bullying people, joking about suicide, all of that type of stuff. She made a name for herself being not just in opposition to Trump, 
but in opposition to anything associated with Trump. That was her platform. She's gone after Melania Trump. She's gone after Kaylee. I mean, nasty things. But there was an audience for that. Her audience loved the disgusting things that she said um, about Republicans. And so there are people who have literally, you, you tune into these shows, you know what you're going to get because this is what they do on social media. And these people end up with hundreds of thousands and millions of actual followers because that type of stuff sells, the sensational sales, being provocative sales, you have all of these people who start these platforms and say, well, we want real news or we want to really appeal to the black community. We want to talk about facts when the thing is, is that, <coughs> excuse me, they want you to talk. Um, essentially, they want you to just exist in tribes. So there is no reason that if you look at Fox or any of, you know, platforms like Roland Martin or any, you know, other platforms you can find conservative guests or liberal guests who are substantive, right? They're out there. Yeah. But the thing is, is that they don't trend. So it's almost boring. And in many ways, I'm kind of boring in comparison to the very provocative people out there because there are certain things I'm not going to do. Now, what I realize is that it particularly would, um, and I'll actually say that this is the distinction between um, that I found between liberal and conservative platforms. When I go on a liberal or progressive platform, they want me to be either that black conservative, that black Trump re Republican and toe the line at all times. So I'm going through interviews and I hear people, you know, they they try to open up Pandora's box on me, but I never take the bait. And a lot of times that's frustrating to them because they didn't get what they thought. I've had people where I've gone on the show and they say to themselves, oh, I didn't even realize you said that. Or I didn't realize that you disagreed with Trump on here. It's like, go to my website, MalikAbdul.com. I talk about all of this stuff. You can go to my YouTube page. You can go to my social media. But people don't want those type of substantive discussions. They want you to exist on on tribes. And I'll say very quickly, another example of that. Um the Black News Channel, a network that I'm on, I've been on um, frequently. Just last week, Mark Lamont Hill, one of their hosts, I forgot what, maybe their seven o'clock or eight o'clock hour, he interviewed um, C.J. Pearson. Right. For those who don't know, C.J. Pearson is a very, very popular, very smart and impressive, I think, 18 or 19 year old. He's yeah. now down at the University of Alabama, big Trump guy, um, big Republican. And um, Hill brought CJ on to talk about critical race theory. Now, we know that there's been this just long, drawn out national conversation about critical race theory. And the fact is, is that the people who are on, on the conservative side who are complaining about critical race theory, they don't know uh, what critical race theory is any more than those on the left. So the people on the left say, well, we need to learn critical race theory because um, and Republicans are against it because they don't want to discuss black history or they don't want to discuss racism in America. But that's really it kind of um, that's a very surface understanding of what critical race theory is. So Mark Lamont Hill had CJ on to talk about critical race theory. It's not that CJ is not smart enough or there's there aren't people even older than him, older than me, who aren't not like we're not smart enough to understand what critical race theory is, but Theory is a specific thing. 
So it's like discussing Marxism. You can't just say, well, that's Marxist and don't understand what Marxist theory, which is really centered around um, criticizing capitalism. But you can't go in and have those discussions if you don't have a base of understanding. So when Mark Lamont Hill asked CJ, tell me, who's your... When you talk about critical race theory and you say that it teaches critical race theory, you know, it teaches um, us to hate white people. What theorist, what theorist can you cite who has said that? CJ didn't have an answer. Well, he didn't have an answer because he didn't understand it anyway. And that's not even a criticism of CJ. Mark Lamont Hill could have asked probably 99% of people that same question. Give me uh, an you know, give me some, you know, whether a text that you've read or um, a theorist himself talking about these things. And most people won't be able to explain what it is. But CJ has over 300,000 followers. So he trends. And so that's why you got you got CJ on your show, not because you really wanted to engage in a very healthy debate about critical race theory, but you knew that it would trend. And that's exactly what it did. It trended. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm on the same network. Call me. We can have we can have a full discussion about critical race theory, postmodernism, feminism. You know, we can talk about any of that. But who wants to talk about something that's substantive when it's easier to kind of appeal to the lowest common denominator, which is our tribalism where we are today? We exist in tribes, the left side, the right side. And oftentimes we are not willing to move outside of those tribes. And do you think, and, and that's so true. I actually watched that segment and, you know, I felt bad for CJ because I was like, as the part of me, the cynic was like, CJ should have known better. But the reality is it's hard to consume that much information. First of all, there's a new theory, a new philosopher that, you know, pops up every week, you know, and to sit there and actually dig down deep and, and get verbatim their substance takes time and effort. This man is still in school. And, you know, a lot of times we like to hone out the the major parts of something. But to get into the weeds of anything is a very granular discussion that is boring, right? So a lot of times it's like, oh, well, if you're supportive of this or proponent or opponent, you should know this, this, and this. Nobody knows this, this, and this. There's very few subject matter professionals that can really dive that deep. And if you did find them, you wouldn't want to engage with them anyway because it's not going to be the conversation what you're looking for. And what I found, you know, it was almost like, and and no disrespect to Mark, you know, I'm sure he's a fantastic person, but it was like, you know, you were trying to embarrass. And like you said, it's all about creating this hardline stance. Well, you're all the way over here, and you know that's wrong. But the reality is, I don't know about you, but it's hard to be that definitive on every single subject matter. You know, like, uh, take it for instance, you know, I live in Chicago. You know, we 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 have a real problem with gang violence. I'm obviously not against, or I'm not for guns, but at the same time, I'm for people having the right to defend themselves. I don't know what the perfect solution is. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. if you ban them, the criminals still get them, so that's not the the obvious case. If you say carry like Texas, I don't want to turn it to the wild wild west. You know, so I you know I don't know, but at the same time, I'm not willing to just say. It will, if it comes from somebody that, you know, isn't on the blue side, I, I can't vote for, you know, I can't listen to them. Or if it comes from somebody on the red side, I think we have to get to a point 
where I can disagree with you on 30% of the issue and yet the other 70% totally agree with you and totally bring you into the sheepfold because I know you have something to offer versus, well, considering I don't agree with you on 100% of the content, now I have to totally annihilate your whole argument and your whole focus because we don't see eye to eye. And that's, to me, inherently problematic because it's really about what truth do you accept. It's not about facts. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we were going to actually do an episode on tracking progress, and I was looking at the economic numbers compared to last year, and the reality is, even though, yes, unemployment has gone down, the GDP, you know, is relatively the same. Mm-hmm. Our output is relatively the same. When we start looking at the numbers, and I'm looking at $4 a gallon for gas, and I'm like... <laughs> You know, wait a minute, you know, wait a minute. Let's take a look into this. Not, and you know, not that I regret who I voted for because I don't, but at the same token, maybe two things can be true. You know, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, and to, to your point about that, and I think, and I've, I've talked about it um, and even noticed it myself. So I try to make sure that, um, you know, there, there's a difference between political commentary and political analysis. Mm-hmm. Most of what we see on television is political commentary, which means that it's partisan. You're speaking, you're, you're spouting off talking points that you've come up with or that you were given to basically defend your side. So whether that's the left or the right, you know, that, you know, when you're talking about that whole thing of tribalism, that's where the political commentary comes in. But so very little analysis of our politics. That would get you to actually talking about analyzing the fact that, hmm, GDP, which is a a significant number that economists pay attention to, not just the unemployment number or things like that, like GDP, the things that economists pay attention to. No, it really hasn't. Um, We're not at a very, a much different place than we were last year during the height of the actual pandemic. But we can't talk about those things because if you talk about those things, then that in many ways can be received as a criticism of the Biden administration and a criticism of Democrats. And so you may not get booked on these shows to talk about it because they don't want people on there to be critical of their side. Let's take a real life example. Um, Senator Manchin. If you listen to Senator Manchin, if you listen to the criticism of Senator Manchin, you would be led to believe that Senator Manchin is Marjorie Taylor Greene or uh, Matt Gates or Jim Jordan or some, you know, Republican conservative out there who's not who hasn't voted Democrat, voted with his party all of this time. But because he has a difference of opinion on H.R. 1 and I think the voting rights bill and even the the John Lewis bill and also um, the filibuster, use of the filibuster. He has a different opinion on that, but his side is now attacking him or people are questioning whether you need Joe Manchin in the party at all. The irony is that when Republicans are go out on a limb and be in opposition to the party, whether that's Mitt Romney or even more recently Liz Cheney, Democrats praise that. That's a good thing. When John McCain gave the thumbs down with the um, Obamacare vote, 
Liberals loved that. And he became a maverick. Everyone loved John because he was in opposition to the Republican, seen as in opposition to the Republican Party. Now that the tables have turned, you're going to find, and it's not just with Senator Manchin, you'll find that there's going to be very little energy, um, little appetite for people, Democrats specifically, going against the Biden administration or the grain. It happens in our politics all the time. We just don't acknowledge it enough. But the fact is, is that what they're now, what people want, they want 100% agreement on all issues. What they don't realize, and this is where the analysis comes in, the political analysis comes in, what people don't realize is that, okay, you can say that you want Manchin to vote for this, or you want to kick him out the party, or Republicans, I mean, Democrats to just use the filibuster and just charge forward on their own policy and don't worry about working with Republicans, you can say that as a form of political commentary. The problem is, is that that's not how government works. You can't do it that way. There are um, restrictions, there are stipulations in place that prevent those type of things, prevent essentially either the Republican Party or the Democratic Party from just going at it alone. That's what we tend to think, whether it's a Republican in office or a Democrat in office, they should just go at it alone. Well, that's just not how Congress is set up. And we don't have enough honest discussions about how Congress is set up. The George Floyd Act is another example of how Congress works. I won't go into the George Floyd Act and where we are with that, but it's another example of you can't just because Biden is in office. That doesn't mean that the George Floyd Act passes the Senate. I mean, the, the, the White House, the Senate and Congress and the George Floyd Act has not passed yet. Why? Because Democrats need Republicans. That's how the system works. It's unfortunate. And a lot of people really don't realize that. By the way, I'm drinking cranberry juice. <laughs> it is not. It is not a uh, sangria Fridays. It, it is, is not. Mondays. It is cranberry juice for all those out there. No, absolutely right. I think the holdup was over qualified immunity. And it was like, well, if we don't get this, then we don't get anything. And it's almost, I, I, I guess, and, and I see why there would be pull, you know, pullback for it. But <clears throat> I wonder when it was 1964 and we were talking about, you know, uh, the Voting Rights Act and the uh, Civil Rights Act 65, right? Uh, it's not going to be a perfect bill, no matter why you split it, right? Obviously, there's going to be give and take. And is it worth not passing it? Because if you don't pass it this time, you know, if the midterms don't go the way you think, you're not going to have another go at it. It doesn't matter if it's this term or is the next term, right? To me, that's uh, inherently problematic. And I, I don't know. It's just it's confusing that we have entered into what I would call a stalemate politically, uh, socially, and every single uh, just kind of avenue. And to me, it doesn't do anything but hurt the American people. Because if you can't get, if you can't discuss, if you can't say, hey, look, we will give you this if you give us this, nothing gets done, right? And now what we're having is, because I'm looking at even what's coming down. I mean, I know right now President Biden is over in NATO and he's doing the G7 summit and everybody's shaking hands. But the reality is nothing's really, I mean, you know, 
there's going to be things I think internationally that'll be done, but from a domestic standpoint, nothing is going to get done. <laughs> That's more for like you know relationships, you know uh, future agreements on an international state level. But domestically, that's a that's a bad sign if you think about the infrastructure. So, bit. Yeah. So let's and I'll give you two. I'll actually you know, mention two things and talking about um, the police reform bill and the idea, you know, to piggyback on your um, comments about you have to work with the other side because that's how it works, that sometimes you're not going to like everything in, you know, in a piece of legislation, but you have to do it for the greater good. So mm-hmm. the. Police reform bill is the best example thus far about that. Democrats came out with the George Floyd and Policing Act last year in the House. Republicans under, you know, um, um, with Tim Scott's under Tim Scott's leadership, the Republicans came back with the Justice Act. The Justice Act was the Senate GOP's response to the George Floyd Act. There were things around the I guess you could say the edges that they may have disagreed on. The big sticking point was qualified immunity. Mm-hmm. The unions, Democrats, all, you know, Black Lives Matter, all of these various organizations said qualified immunity, that is a deal breaker. Now, the problem, and this is talking about procedure, what Tim Scott said, okay, you want to add that amendment? Let's debate it and bring it to the floor. So he said, I'll give you one. I'll give you two. I'll give you five. I'll give you 20 amendments, which means that Democrats would have been able to um, have that debate on the floor. But Democrats blocked the bill from even being debated on the floor. They didn't support it being moved to the floor. And so essentially the bill died. There was an opportunity last year to pass the justice. I mean, to pass um, a police reform bill. Fast forward all the way to 2021, we're still talking about a police reform bill. And the latest thing, if you listen to Senator Scott and even Senator Booker, they're saying that there may be some wiggle room on qualified immunity. The fact is, is that even if you're talking about qualified immunity, there are states like Colorado, they're already dealing with qualified immunity. So a lot of the things that we talk about at the federal level don't necessarily, um, you know, States don't have to wait on the federal government Mm. to actually act. So there are things that you can find places all around the country where they have existing in the states ban on chokeholds, ban on certain type of warrants, you know, no, not warrants. Those things states are already doing. But we look to the federal government where so much of this stuff gets hung up and then we actually don't get anywhere because you have people on both sides saying we have to take it or leave it that we can't have negotiate at all on it and and the american people at the end of the day we are the ones who suffer and that is a problem that now i know biden you know i knew that even when he made this promise um that he was going to he wanted the george floyd act passed by george you know the death the anniversary of George Floyd's death, I knew that wasn't going to happen, but you didn't even hear in media. And that's because most of us, particularly black people, most of us are Democrat and we lean Democrat. So we weren't, there was no discussion in media about the fact that that police reform commission that Biden promised during the campaign, he said, once he got into office, he said, okay, well, 
we don't have to do that anymore. We're just going to wait on the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. And that's what we're going to support. No one's talking about the fact that, well, wait, so we don't have to do a police commission now because we're working on this. But it's just one of those things that, you know, it gets um, lost in the discussion because we're so focused on those hotbed issues where in many ways we just miss the forest for the trees or whatever that saying is. Yeah, no, I agree. What, you know, I was thinking about kind of, I've, I, there's a, there's been a lot of symbolic gestures that has been done oh. and, and I, you know, and I'm not placating symbolism. I think symbolism has this place. I think it could be inspiring I think acknowledgement is a big step forward, but is it salvific? Does it provide true healing? Is it really a pathway forward? And I was thinking about, you know, Tulsa and I was thinking about, you know, Biden coming down there and I was like, wow, you know, he said it out of his mouth. He's the first president ever to acknowledge it and the first president to come down there, which isn't just a shot at the last administration. It might be a shot at the last before the last, you know, like, you know, it was, it was a very, you know, poignant statement, right? Uh, but at the same token, what conclusion? You know what I'm saying? Like, all that. To what end? Yeah, what I, I, I guess is if, if there was nothing that was enacted, there was nothing that was thrown out there. It was a lot of time for celebration and gathering and great photo taking. But I wonder, like, what, you know, other than that, is he now kind of off the hook? You know, like, or, or is it now like, you know, we've already done that, time to move on. And I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, I'm thinking about what needs to be done next. I'm looking at the infrastructure bill. I'm looking at HR 40. Uh, and and, I'm, and I'm, I'm starting to see, well, look, if you had to make a compromise, do you make a compromise with the infrastructure bill if you can add on the student loan debt? Right. Like where does the real political maneuvering, you know, go for that? And I just don't see it anymore because it's not about it's not about that that discourse anymore. It's more about like, you know, what can we stand on? So when we look at 2024, we can say this because I'm and I obviously can't speak for everybody, but. If you had to go with the old adage, the rising tide raises all boats, even though I don't like that and I've argued against it for so many you know, reasons. If the infrastructure bill is that, if Joe's trying to throw a Hail Mary pass with this one piece of legislation, he has to include one or two provisions, A, the elimination of student loan debt or some sense of reparations in the form of home ownership. What are your thoughts on that? So let's let's. Okay, that's a very actually good question talking about the infrastructure bill. And this is the whole sausage making process that people don't know about and it can be very disgusting for people to watch. So the infrastructure bill, Biden is dealing with his party versus the reality of, you know, the politics of his party versus the realities of governing. So where the infrastructure bill is, Biden, because he campaigned on it, because his party campaigned on it, Biden wants to add things in his infrastructure bill. Biden wants to add child care, um, elderly health care, things like, um, um, climate, you know, dealing with the climate, climate change, environmental justice, um, student loan debt. You know, Biden wants to add these type of things to the infrastructure bill. Republicans are saying, 
we want to focus on the things that we know that are traditionally, you know, infrastructure. So um, roads, bridges, broadband access. That's what Republicans want to focus on. The last, um, I think the last bill that Republicans, the last offer that Republicans made were about 900 or so billion dollars. What's not discussed in media, because of course the, um, the narrative is, is that Republicans aren't interested in infrastructure and all of those things. But what we don't talk about is the fact that on by, I think it was an 89 to two vote, Republicans and Democrats worked together in the Senate to pass a 35 billion water transportation infrastructure bill. What's also not discussed is that Republicans and Democrats passed out of committee by a 22 to zero vote, 22 to zero vote, a 300, I think it was about a 316 billion um, surface transportation bill. So those things are literally happening at the same time that both sides are arguing about infrastructure. But where the rub is, is that Republican Democrats are saying we want those additional things that are not traditionally infrastructure in the bill. And the media narrative is where well, Republicans don't want to play ball very little. And I'll just add a um, an important point that people miss, but I'm a wonk. So I kind of watch all of this stuff. The Senate parliamentarian who essentially. Um, well, everybody knows what a parliamentarian is, right, right. but the Senate, the Senate parliamentarian told Democrats, told Schumer, you guys have one more chance to pass a bill under the budget reconciliation process. Remember the first bill, I think the stimulus bill, um, the, the, the first one that um, Biden signed immediately after coming into office that was on a strictly um, partisan line. That was passed through the budget reconciliation process. So they were able to, I'm sorry, they were able to circumvent um, the regular Senate order process and pass the bill on a strictly partisan vote. The parliamentarian said, you guys have one more shot at it. So what does that mean? That means that the things that Democrats were looking at, um, you know, passing like in separate bills, which would be the, those child tax court um, credits, which would be, in, including infrastructure, but would also include the things like environmental justice and some of the other things that the Biden administration want to do. What the Senate parliamentarian said, and I apologize for being too wonky, um, but what the Senate parliamentarian said is in order to pass all of these um, packages that you want this year, you need to put it in one single bill. You can't break it apart. That's not, this is not, you're not going to be able to do it. That is that is what the Democrats are pushing up against. Senate process, congressional procedure. But it's not enough discussion about there, you know, out there about that. So you just have people like me. We get on television and say, well, Republicans don't want to do anything. And then, you know, my response is, well, Democrats don't want to do anything. And very few of us kind of like critical race theory. Very few of us understand what the political process is and what you were saying about, you know, what's next after Tulsa. I think what you were saying and what you didn't say, the word that you didn't use was performative politics. Right. <laughs> so that's what it was. It was performative right. politics. The same thing that Republicans want from Kamala Harris uh, when it comes to her showing up at the border. There's nothing she can do with the border. 
The yeah. only thing that she can do is go down there, show her face that she's meeting with, um, you know, Border Patrol agents or maybe families down there on the border or touring a facility. That is the only thing that she can do. It is performative at its finest. It is performative. But those are the type of things that we encourage because we want to feel good. We want to, you know, so the black community, we feel good that now we have a president who's actually commented on Tulsa. Well, is somebody giving money to the people in Tulsa or something? Right. Like explain right. in practice, what does that mean? Because he went to Tulsa. But these are the type of things that we as a community say that we want our politicians to do. So that's how they do these type of performative acts. And there's going to be plenty more of that. I don't create politics is. We're never satisfied. Sad but true. Unfortunately, that is the silver lining to American politics. About Biden privately telling lawmakers behind closed doors that a reparation bill, yeah. it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I heard that. So, yeah. So, I mean, and there, and there it goes. We go back in circles. The unfortunate truth is looking the part is better than actually being the part. And this yep. is why... Tribalism is so dangerous because if we get into the customs of always having mascots and definitive arguing to the point that we can't come together, we will never get anything accomplished. With that being said, it's been an amazing episode, Malik. I thank you so much. Where can the people connect with you, man? So I now, well, you know, since I've grown up now, um, <laughs> I now have a website, so I now can direct your viewers, all of your viewers who are going to be sharing this, watching this, commenting on this, because I know the thousands of you are actually out there. You can actually find me on uh, my website, Melik Abdul. You can see my name here, MelikAbdul.com. Uh, my handle is here, actually, MelikAbdul underscore on Twitter, on um, Instagram, and of course, just my name, Melik Abdul on um, Facebook. But if you want to find out what I'm doing, if you want to see anything that I've written or booked me for a speaking engagement or any of that, you can actually do that through my website, MalikAbdul.com. Y'all connect with Malik Abdul. Follow him on the website. Connect with him on all social media platforms. And the cool thing about support is that it's free. If you connect with somebody, it costs you absolutely zero. Click. <laughs> It's it. <laughs> it. And it encourages the person to keep continuing. And if you want to keep seeing amazing content and amazing influencers like Malik, this is what you got to do. You got to connect with me on YouTube as CV Space K and on Instagram as CVMK33, where all my workout videos are. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate all my guests and I appreciate the audience. And until next time, guys, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, what's up, everybody? You like what you saw? We're entertained. We're informed. We want to keep seeing amazing content. Subscribe at the link below. YouTube, CV Space K. You connect where all podcasts are streaming. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor. Connect with me. I want to connect with you. Let's enjoy the ride.